evening uh, again any visitors amongst us you're more than welcome uh, I know some are second time uh, it's good to see you again um, I just want to read a few verses well actually a few verses the whole of Psalm 100 shout for joy to the Lord all the earth worship the Lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs know that the Lord is God it is he who made us and we are his we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And we're going to stand and sing. I know we might be few in number this bank holiday Sunday, but I'm sure we can uh, make a joyful noise as we sing our first hymn, Guide Me. O oh, thou great, G uh, great Redeemer. Is that wrong again? <laughs>
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we were reminded this morning of your great power. Lord, power that we can't comprehend, power um, that is way beyond anything this world could ever imagine and only saw through your hands and through your spirit. Lord, we were reminded of uh, how often we doubt, Lord, your power to change someone's life. Lord, how uh, even though we might be at our lowest ebb, you are still interested in us and we can call out to you. And Lord, we know there are many within our fellowship who are at a low ebb, Lord, due to illness. Maybe those who are living with long-term illness and are restricted to their house or a care home, Lord, we pray for them this evening. Lord, that they would reach out to you and you would draw alongside them and comfort them, Lord, in their, their situation, Lord, whatever it might be. Lord, we know there are many going through treatment for various illnesses. Lord, we pray again that you would sustain them and their carers, Lord, through this most difficult time, both physically and also mentally. Lord, we pray that you would bless them and strengthen them and uphold them, Lord. We also know there are many that struggle with mental illness in one form or another. Lord, we pray that you would give them peace. Lord, that as their mind overpowers them, Lord, you would draw alongside them, Lord, and give them peace. Lord, it was good to see some this morning that we hadn't seen for a while due to illness and were able to meet with us, Lord. We pray for them. We thank you that you were able to restore them to meeting in person, Lord. And again, I just want to pray for those, Lord, who cannot be with us, who would desperately love to be with us. Lord, give them a special blessing this evening, Lord. Draw alongside them. Lord, may they know your presence like they've not known before. Lord, that they would be filled with the joy of you and your salvation in their lives, Lord, despite them being homebound uh, and not able to, to meet in person, Lord. We pray for them, especially this evening. Amen. Can stand and sing our second hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished. Go. 
Could you turn with me now to Nehemiah chapter 1? Nehemiah is in the Old Testament and it's on page 484 of the Church Bible.
Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll read the whole chapter. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord, before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your, if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is God's word. Again, we'd like to thank Billy for being with us this evening, uh, and Sheila also. And before he comes and ministers God's words to us, we're going to sing, By Faith We See the Hand of God. see the hand of God in the light of creation's bright design in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness who walk by faith and not by sight by faith our fathers Oh. 
and shall be moved and the power of the gospel shall prevail for we know in Christ all things are possible for all who call upon his name we will stand as children of the promise we will Well, it's been such a joy and a privilege to be with you today, and uh, Sheila and Anne, it's uh, just a joy to be here as we worship God together and also we look at his word. Uh, we're going to return to this uh, book of Nehemiah. I'm going to read a few verses from the second chapter, uh, taking the story on one further stage from Nehemiah as he is hearing about the condition of Jerusalem and looking at that through the lens of God's word, and then his prayer, and now as that prayer is beginning to be answered in chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This is nothing but sadness of heart. 
I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so they will provide safe Provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel of the, by the temple and the city wall for the residence I will occupy. And because of the gracious hand of my God, which was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Simbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And this is the word of the Lord, and may he speak to us uh, through it. I'm sure as the end of the COVID restrictions uh, were coming to pass or have come to pass, we've noticed some new terminology or phraseology appearing. I'm sure you've heard various leaders and statesmen talking about building back or building back better. Well, uh, President Biden used it three times and Boris Johnson quickly reminded him that he had stolen it from him because he had been speaking about it before the president referred to it. And then he quickly answered, but of course, I took it from someone else. But we understand what they're getting at, this need to build back, such as the effects of COVID upon the nation and the national life. There needs to be a rebuilding. Uh, the health service and various parts, which had not been functioning as they had done previously, now needed to be building back again. Education, which had been affected dramatically in, in the lives of many young people, needed rebuilding again. The economy suffered an enormous shock and would require rebuilding. So we can see there is that need for building or rebuilding or building back. And the same is true in the lives of churches. Certain aspects of church life had been put in uh, mothballs. They were not really functioning. Others were functioning partially. Other plans and purposes which we had in mind for the future just had to be set aside. And so there needs to be a building back, a rebuilding, a building up of these things again. But it's even true to a greater extent in terms of our national spiritual life. We have witnessed within 25 years virtually the demise of a culture, the Judeo-Christian culture based on the Bible being dismantled and not only being dismantled, but virtually despised as being unenlightened and so forth. Well, what, there needs to be enormous rebuilding or building back of these things. There's a gross spiritual or uh, a scriptural darkness in our country, which is self-evident. 
I'm sure some of you have listened to some of these quiz programs, and even the most elemental, basic, biblical truth, asking some people who were supposed to be highly intelligent, and they're nonplussed. They don't know about Daniel. They don't know about Abraham. They don't know about Moses. They don't know about even many New Testament truths. There's a great need to be rebuilding and building back. And such religion that exists in the country is oftentimes either compromised or it is only a pale shadow of that which it ought to be. Robert Browning, many, many years ago, when writing, he puts these words into one of his characters. Is this thing we see salvation? Is this thing we see religion? Is that all there is to be? He was a man looking, and he was looking at the form of religion that was practiced. And he said, is that all there is to it? What a tragedy that people should be able to write like that or think like that. And yet that's the truth. There is a form of godliness, but it lacks power. A sort of godliness, but lacks force. And having a real impact on the lives of men and women. Surely there's a tremendous need to rebuild a building back in the terms of the life of our nation. A.W. Tozer wrote in the 1950s, he said, what goes on in many churches, it would not take the Holy Spirit to explain 95% of it. What goes on in churches? You wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. It's just human energy and human ideas uh, and human ways of doing things. It doesn't need the power of and the presence of the Spirit. That's a tragedy because the church only exists by the power of the Holy Spirit, of the risen Christ, mediated through our lives and through our experience. Doesn't there need to be a building back in these particular days? And of course, it's just this that we have in this wonderful story of Nehemiah in 444, 445 B.C., Here's this man, and he, he, he's concerned about the state of Jerusalem and the condition of the people of God and how that reflected in the honor of God. Because these were God's special people, and yet look at them. Look at the city where they are. What a, what a tragedy. Other nations looking on. Is that all their God does for them? Is that all he means to them? Now that this, these walls have been demolished for nearly 100 years, Dear friends, it's amazing what we can get used to. Why were the people in Jerusalem not doing anything? Why were they not concerned? Why were there no desire on their part to seek to rebuild? The tragedy is when things come to a low spiritual ebb, we can get so accustomed to it and get so used to it that we think that's the norm. Someone has put it this way, that if ever we became normal, because we are so subnormal, we would appear to be abnormal. And it wasn't an Irishman to tell me that. But you see the point I'm trying to make? We've got so used to the subnormal, we don't realize what the normal is like. It would appear to be abnormal quite outside our experience. But here's this man, Nehemiah, and he, although he's a cupbearer, he, he, he's got it made. He holds a very high and trusted position. He not only uh, sort of produced, or as it were, gave the cup to the king. He tasted it first in case it was poisoned. Now, you don't do that unless a person's highly trusted and has a special place. Nehemiah, as far as his own well-being and as far as his own wealth was concerned, he had it made. 
It couldn't get any better for Nehemiah. He was the very, at the very heart of this great Persian empire. But his heart was elsewhere. His heart was back in at Jerusalem. His heart was with the people of God. His heart was with the honor of God. And dear friends, that should be true of each and every one of us. No matter what progress we've made in this life, whatever position we hold, and there's nothing wrong with that. The big question is for us, where is our hearts? Where is our concern? What is the thing that really gets to us? In Nehemiah's case, it was the state of Jerusalem. Now, this man's concern, and rarely will anyone show concern or care about anything. His name means God cares or God comforts. Very rarely will we care about anything unless we're concerned about it. Very rarely can we comfort or help in certain situations unless we feel the burden of that in our hearts and minds. And that's why Nehemiah was the man who God uh, chose to do this work. He cared and he was concerned. And there were two sources that fueled or, in a sense, fostered that concern. One was first a biblical perspective. If you look at the first chapter, and he, he, he understands the, what, who the people of God are. They're, they're God's place of people whom he's redeemed. But he understands what they did, that they'd disregarded God, they'd marginalized him, they'd gone their own way. He understood that clearly from the scriptures, and his prayer reflected that. But also about the state and the condition of the people, he, he understood God's heart towards them. He understood the words that the psalmist had uttered. He said, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cunning. If I don't remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Here the right hand. That was the hand of action. That was the hand that fed him. Here was his tongue, the means of communication. How vital they are for us. He said, if I should ever forget you, let me these things fail unless I remember you. And he would not have known the words of Jeremiah. Is there none concerned about Jerusalem? Is there none to pray for, for Jerusalem? And these words registered with this man. There was this concern for the, the people of God, the honor of God, the place of God. And it, it, it was overwhelming. And those are the two things. And I think these are things that are important for us. Henry Adams said, practical politics consists in ignoring the facts. And I'm sure many politicians would say amen to that. But you know, when it comes to practical spiritual service, it consists in facing the facts and examining the evidence. And that's what we need to do. We need to really look at the situation and examine it and look at it and see it for what it is. In contrast with the attitude of Adams, in the year 1987, there was another sort of epidemic taking place in our country. It was the AIDS epidemic. And one of the great slogans at that time to awaken people, to make them aware, to make them appreciate it was taking place, don't die through ignorance. Don't die through ignorance. And likewise, we must let, not let our concerns level drop our caring level to get lower through ignorance. We must keep ourselves fully 
acquainted with, the, with that. I came across a quotation, but I can't remember the source. Maybe you'll remind me afterwards. It was a challenging people. Some people do not want to know what is going on because information brings with it obligation. Some people don't want to know. They don't want to think. They want to look at. They don't want to hear about the needs. And I know it's difficult in these days where our minds are bombarded through television and radio and other sources about all sorts of needs and everything. But we mustn't let that sort of discharge us or divert us from the thought of getting to know the realities of situations. Acquaintance and it brings about an application of that or appreciation of it brings about action. Abraham Lincoln, long before he became president of the United States, and he embarked upon the Civil War to, as it were, change the slavery situation. When he was a young, almost penniless person, he went through a slave market, and he saw human beings being sold like chattels. They couldn't stand it. And the little money he had, he took it and spent it all to release one slave. And that time he made a prayer. He said, Lord, help me to hit this thing and hit it hard. No wonder God used Abraham Lincoln to bring about that emancipation, which is so vital and so important. He was a man who wouldn't close his eyes to the reality that was around him and the reality he was facing with him and faced up to it and took what action he could and wonderfully the Lord blessed him. And Nehemiah was anxious to know about the situation. You know, in the first chapter, we have these words. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived in the exile and also about Jerusalem. This wasn't a casual asking. How are things in Jerusalem? He uses a word for interrogation. He really quizzed them. What's happening? What's going on? What is the state what, 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 what can be done? Is there anything being done? He almost put these men in the dock, tell me what's going on. No wonder it's a man like that and a person with that heart and someone who cared so deeply that the Lord uses to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem for the honor of God's name and the good of God's people. Let me give you two illustrations. William Curry, known as the father of modern missions, the, the Baptist. And this is, we're thinking, in the 17th century, 18th century. And he, he couldn't, he didn't just sort of press a few buttons and get something from Google. What's the population? It wasn't available. Curry could have told you in nearly every country in Europe how many people there were, how many churches there were in these countries. What are the needs of these countries? All of these things. When it was so difficult to get information, he was so concerned about the kingdom of God and the spread of the gospel, he wanted to ascertain the facts. It's not to be wondered that God sent him to India to do a mighty work. He wanted to know. He wanted to be informed. The church I was brought up in Belfast when I was younger was a large Presbyterian church. And it was an elderly pastor who was coming to the end of his ministry, Mr. Greg, a real spiritual gentleman. He was only there a short time before he retired. He was elderly at the time. And quite a number of years later, 
I heard that he was in hospital, uh, a geriatric hospital. I suppose they give it a different name today. And I went to see him. And at first, he could hardly recall me. And he said, oh, yes. Uh, and then he had a little uh, bedside uh, cupboard with, with a drawer, and he pulled it out, pulled the drawer out, and he took out a black book. And he opened the book, and he said, now, where are you ministering? What is the church like? Uh, what are the situations? What are the problems? What are the things for which you're thankful? And he jotted them all down. Here's a man in his 90s. And as he put the book down, I saw page after page of names of people and situations who he prayed for every day. He knew about them. He knew where they were. He knew what they were doing. Oh, I thank God I was now in this black book. I really do. But oh, for men like that, that's the spirit of Nehemiah. That's the spirit of the man who God uses to rebuild and to build better. Well, when Nehemiah gets that, he then goes to his, uh, is it like his toolbox? It's only metaphorical. I don't know anything about toolboxes or tools. But if you're going to do a task, you need tools. And Nehemiah had at least three tools in his toolbox for the build, rebuilding of these walls. And the first tool is perhaps one that might surprise you. You might not even consider it should be part of the toolbox. Or you might think, well, why is he carrying that? But the first tool that he had was patience. And that was difficult for Nehemiah. He was an action man. He didn't let the grass grow under his feet. We need people like that as well, don't we? But, but I can imagine him. He was more a doer. And as the book unfolds, you see what he's like all the time, relentlessly. No matter the problem, the difficulty, we're building, we're building, we're building. But if you notice what we are told here, he prays in verse, uh, verse 11, uh, Lord of chapter 1, Lord, let your, your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in your name. Give your servant success today by granting him in the, in, the, in the presence of this man. There it was today. This is the month of uh, round about December. And Nehemiah, oh Lord, give me, answer my prayer today. I want, I want to start. I want to get out of this very moment. Well, now it's come to Nissan. And it's three months later. Three long months. Over 90 days and 90 nights for a man like that. And, and, and I believe Nehemiah had to learn, in a, in a sense, that God's timing and our timing aren't always identical. And the important thing is that our timing is synchronized with his rather than what we think. Just think if we had have gone in December, in the middle of winter in that part of the world. Can you imagine traveling and all the other difficulties? But the Lord understood that. And now he's come to Nissan. It's now March, April, in the spring, a time when traveling was better and so forth. And how patience was necessary in that situation. Nehemiah had to learn uh, the ability to accept delay or trouble without becoming angry or upset. Can you imagine this dynamic man got amongst these people and things weren't always, always work? I think he could have raised Cain. <laughs> but the Lord was teaching his servant, knowing in the future patience would be required. 
and a patient spirit would be demanded. And so during this time, the Lord is teaching this man, in a sense, patience with regards to these things. Also, Nehemiah's thoughts needed clarifying. He was emotionally moved. Now, it's good to be emotionally moved, but there's a danger of being just only emotionally moved. And here during his time, his thoughts were being clarified about what was required, what needed doing, what, in a sense, ought to be done. His attitude needed to be modified, being proactive, to deal with people who have different perspectives or different views, which he was going to encounter when he went back to that city. And he needed that attitude modifying all this is being done during that period of waiting. These were delicate situations. And now we find this man being taught patience in order to deal with the situations that would arise in terms of his future work. How it is, we see it, he has difficult people. He had to learn how to deal with them. He needed patience with delicate situations. He was going to speak to the king and he had to wait his time for that. All this was being developed. Johnny Erickson wrote these words. Many of you will know her story of a 14-year-old girl diving into water and then breaking her back and then being paralyzed from the shoulders down. And the terrible frustration that she experienced at that situation. And this is what she wrote. We don't always have to think of these times of waiting as being wasted. He said, the time we find ourselves having to wait on situation or on others may be the perfect opportunity to train ourselves to wait upon the Lord. A perfect opportunity. You know, these things we want to do, and yet the Lord is teaching it. How often have we seen, as the Lord referred to, you know, the half-built towers? Because people just entered energetically, yet thoughtlessly, about the work they were going to embark upon. And you know, when waiting time becomes preparing time, it is never wasted time. And patience is something that helps us in that particular situation. And then the next tool that he uses is the tool of prayer. If you look at the second chapter and uh, verse 4, And the king said to me, What is it you want? Now, Nehemiah had been praying for success. (laughs) But Nehemiah was quaking in his boots at that particular moment. But you know what he said? I was very much afraid at the end of verse two. Um, And then he said, the king said to me, what is it you want? And then we have these words. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Do you notice the order? Do you notice the priority? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I spoke to the king. That was was the order. That was the priority of that. Praying to the God of heaven heaven. I answered the king. Now, why was that so important? Remember, Nehemiah knew that that this was so difficult and so delicate, the king could respond any sort of way. It was illegal to be sad in the king's presence, and he had been sad. You can understand why he's fearful. Well, how are the fears overcome? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. 
And I pray to the God of heaven. You see what will happen to us? If we don't have that as a priority, we'll find there will be these situations that are frightening and fearful. And we don't know which way to turn. And those fears will overwhelm us and conquer us unless we're in touch with the God of heaven. The complexities and complications will perplex us. They'll be on our ability to cope with unless we can say, and I prayed to the God of the heaven. Emergencies have arrived that were never envisaged. Things happened. They were happening to Nehemiah. How was he able to deal with these emergencies? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I'm sure those older can remember the Falklands War. And if you remember the attack on Goose Green, where the, the parachute regiment was sent, and the commander of the forces realized afterwards there was a far bigger Argentinian force in Goose Green than he had imagined. In fact, they were nearly two and a half times, and they were already dug in to the size of the parachute regiment. And during the night, the commander of the parachute regiment was shot dead. His code name was Sun Ray. And, and the word went out, Sun Ray has fallen. And his deputy was a major cable. And his men had been out in the cold and lying in the wet and under fire all night from a vastly numerical superior force. And the day was dawning. The ammunition levels were getting very low. And he knew there'd be an open ground in broad daylight and the night attack hadn't been completed. And, and he said, I, I did this. I said, what shall I do? He said, there was a little gully nearby and I slipped up the gully. And he said, I prayed, dear Lord, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And he said, it came into my mind, offer the Argentinians an honorable an honorable surrender. Now remember, this is a force two and a half times his force. And they'd been fighting all night, freezing water, under fire. And he sent a word through the commander to the commander of the, the garrison of Goose Green, of the Argentinian garrison. He said, I offer you now an honorable surrender if you will lay down your arms. I got the word back. We will comply with your offer. Can you imagine it? That's a Nehemiah situation. What am I going to do? And I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. Oh, dear friends, that, that is the priority and the necessity to pray in these things. You remember what the Lord Jesus, when he was going to teach about his prayers given in the Gospel of Luke, he tells a story about a man who has a friend coming at midnight. Now, midnight in their terms would be the same as three o'clock in the morning on our terms. And this person comes, and he's got nothing to give to him. And he goes, knocks next door, and he said, please give me something to eat. A friend has come, and I have nothing. And the Lord said, that's your situation. In and of yourselves, you've got nothing. But you can come to me, your heavenly friend, and you can approach your heavenly father. And that's what Nehemiah did. He prayed to the God of heaven. Oh, here is this 
priority which is set before us, but also the availability of power. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. He immediately had access, immediately had access to the Lord. And this is a man in the Old Testament. This is before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, before those wonderful words that Christ has opened up for us, a new and a living way into the presence of God, whereby we have immediate access through Christ. And if it was available to Nehemiah, how much more is it available to us? Wouldn't it be great if that was written over our lives in all the situations? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Well, dear friends, that's the picture which we have here. He fired off this urgent prayer. He sent it off. But you know, he sent off these urgent prayers because he had cultivated a fellowship with God and a communion with God. Month after month, week after week, night after night during that waiting time. And it was just as natural for him to, to pray to the God of heaven as it was to take a breath. He lived in that environment. The great musician Paderewski was asked, if you were suddenly asked to play a demanding piece of music, could you do it? Of course, he replied. The person asked, how is it possible? Uh, he asked. Paderewski answered, I have, pray I have practiced eight hours a day for 40 years, and now it becomes natural to me. Eight hours a day for 40 years, and I can just then move into that mode. I can immediately approach that composition. And that was Nehemiah. He had such a relationship with the Lord in prayer that there's this natural thing he did. It came to him because he had often spent those times and then just not only the availability of prayer, but also the theology of prayer. And, and here it is. He said, I pray to the God of heaven. He calls him in the first chapter, the great and awesome God. He, he uses this term, the God of heaven, a, a number of times during the book. What does he mean? Here's one without the limitations of earth. Here's one without the imperfections of humanity. Here's one who's all wise, all powerful, all knowing. And he said, I, I can come to him. Guy King used to have, a, he said, two pictures he had when he came to prayer. One was a picture of his needs or his problems or his situations. He said, and he had that picture. He said, but I have another picture. It's a picture of my heavenly father, my eternal father, the immortal, the invisible, the only wise God. And he said, what happens is I look at this picture the other picture seems to shrink in size in the light of the first, uh, uh, first picture. That's his second toolbox. And then his third toolbox was that of planning, that of planning. Nehemiah had lifted his, his eyes towards God in prayer. Now he opens his mouth to the king. However, the, the, there was this great backdrop to all that he had done. During those months, he had pondered what to say, how to say it. You notice how he talks about the place of his ancestors. Now, the Persians greatly valued the graves of ancestors. It was something that was a, a big, big issue in their lives. 
They treasured this thought. They looked after the tombs or the graves of their ancestors. Nehemiah knows that. He's heard, he's thought. And so what does he say? He said, how can I not be sad when the graves of my ancestors are being desecrated and the city where they are is in such destruction? He had thought carefully about what he said. He thought carefully about how he would address the queen, the king and the queen. He knew exactly what he needed in terms of time. He had thought about it. He knew what was needed. He even knew the keeper of the king's park. Uh, where where the forests were. He knew his name. He had all these things. He was a man who wasn't haphazard. Yes, he prayed, but he planned, and he planned very carefully. He he had thought about the past, and he knew that the work had been stopped in the past because some, some people had concocted a story, and Nehemiah knew that, and he had learned from it. He wasn't just going ahead learning from the past, looking in the present, thinking what needed to be done in terms of uh, the work of God. And of course, this shows again and again a person who is serious about the work of the kingdom and the work of the Lord. Doesn't Peter put it this way? He says, he says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. You've thought about it. You've understood what you've got to say. He says again, prepare your minds for action or, or works of service. President Roosevelt said this, I was a pretty average man. And he's one of the great presidents. But he said, I was a pretty average man, but I worked harder at it than the average man. He said, that was the same as many others. But my devotion my thinking, my planning, my approach wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't average at all in terms of, of these things. This is so often that makes the difference when we come with the right tools to the tasks. I want just to put a little few questions uh, to you in this regard and then end. When it comes to our Christian work and we're thinking of rebuilding, are we just thinking of doing what we've done in the past in the lives of our churches or the way we've done it? Or are we learning from what was the best, what was the most fruitful, most productive? If the things that weren't so helpful to the work of the kingdom, are we going to perpetuate them or are we going to put them aside? If there are things that we have missed, are we going to pick up on those things and then have them firmly rooted in their place for the future? These are the questions. And this picture is personally. Has the challenge and excitement gone out of our Christian service? Has that excitement and challenge gone? And now we're just, the routine is left. Now there's nothing wrong with routine. As long as it's a routine that's well motivated and a, a routine that, that is carefully thought. Are we planning ahead or just going through the normal routine? Do we think deeply about what we're doing? Or or do we think, is is there some other way or better way of doing it in in terms of these things? Does the prospect of Christian service really challenge us and challenge us to pray? Elizabeth Fry wrote these words. 
I think each day how I might better serve my Lord better. I think each day how I might better serve my Lord better. Is that the way we think? We want to do it better. The utmost for the highest. And we bring our very best to it. There was a young preacher and uh, he was asked, what about his sermon preparation? He said, oh, I have a little thought in my mind and I develop it and prepare it on my way to the church. And he said, my house is 10 minutes from the church, so by the time I've got there, I've got my sermon. So after a number of weeks, an old deacon approached him and said, I have some advice to you. He said, I think you ought to buy a house about 20 miles away. He just thought he would come and approach it. And it comes, it comes. And it goes, it goes. And some of us need to take that approach again. Of refocusing. What are we doing? Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work. It doesn't matter what we're doing, it's for the kingdom, it's a great work because it's a great kingdom. It doesn't matter what particular area it is, because it's for a great saviour. And for it's a great end. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to slaves, sometimes ill-treated, he said, you're not serving that master who's ill-treating you. You're serving your master in heaven. And Paul says, I serve the Lord Christ. I serve the Lord Christ. My dear friends, there's a great need of rebuilding needs doing. Great rebuilding needs doing. And we need to build better, don't we? We need to build better. And we need these tools in order to do the task. And may the Lord help us. Who could have thought one man, one person, a thousand miles away, God could take and use walls that had been down for a hundred years and see them built in 52 days. Well, we can say Nehemiah's God is our God. We can say this God, the God of heaven, is our God. And we can say and say to ourselves and to one another in these days, as Nehemiah said, let us arise and build. Amen. Thanks again, uh, Billy. I had a question as well. Um, that I wrote down while you were speaking and that was what am I going to do about it because we can sit here can't we and listen and say Billy that was great yeah what Nehemiah did was great there's a big need that's right and then we walk away don't we and I thought I need to write that I write this down because I shall forget by the time I get home but what am I going to do about it 
you know, here in Palsall or where, wherever it might be, what are we going to do about it? So I'll ask you the same question. Add another question. We've got lots of questions, but what are we going to do about it in, in changing the way our society is and the village that we live in? We're going to close and sing, O Church, arise and put your armour on.
thank you for your word lord and we thank you for the encouragement and the rebuking that it gives us and lord we pray that no one here this evening might leave without knowing that security of eternity with you lord we thank you that you are the god who changes lives through the lord jesus christ and we pray that many would come to know you and that glorious fact lord in this land in this village and in this church tonight lord Amen.